Think of them, huh? Christmas, be a good volunteer, live without a transition, and give generously. Thank you. Hello, uh, I'm Sarah Clatterbuck. This is my husband, Rick Warner. We're from California visiting. Hello, uh, my name is Marek. I'm from Poland. Hello, my name is George from Scotland. I'm working with refugees in the Middle East. Um, hi, um, I'm Stephanie, and this is my husband, uh, Robbie. We ha are also from Scotland. Um, we've just moved to Zurich and are hoping to find a church. So. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hi, I'm Hui Ling. This is Gloria and Wei Yun, and we're from Singapore. And now let us prepare hearts and minds to worship God.
Please remain standing, and I invite you to enter into a time of uh, confession. We do this knowing that God stands ready to forgive each and every one of us. Let's join together in prayer first in unison and then in our personal prayers of confession. Let us pray. God of the future, you are coming in power to bring all nations under your rule. We confess that we have not expected your kingdom because we live casual lives, ignoring your promised judgment. We accept lies as truth, exploit our neighbors, abuse the earth, and refuse your justice and peace. In your mercy, forgive us. Grant us wisdom to welcome your way and to seek things that will endure when Christ comes to judge the world. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen. The scripture reading for today is from Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, a voice of one calling. 
In the wilderness prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our Lord endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up high on the mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him. And, he recon- and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. This is the word of the Lord.
In previous years, on this uh, second Sunday in Advent, we've had uh, a children's pageant led by our children's uh, choir. Uh, last year, in, in the absence of a children's choir, we had a children's-led worship service, and I wanted you to know that uh, this year our children are at the Canton Shula, and that's where Sam uh, went after lighting the, the Advent candle, and the children are having a, a special program there today. So just to be aware, as we worship together, our children are in a, a, another space with their teachers and, and so on. Uh, this is my second Sunday preaching from this spot, which is uh, okay. I could stand there with a handheld microphone, but as most of you know, I need two uh, free hands to preach. So uh, I didn't hear any complaints last year about the, ser- the sermon coming from here. Our New Testament reading today comes from the Gospel according to Mark <clears throat> and the very first chapter. Uh, Mark, as many of you know, is uh, generally thought to be the first of the four Gospels to be written only 20 years or so uh, after the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus. And so uh, I invite you to listen uh, to the way Mark's Gospel begins, the first, uh, uh, first eight verses there. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, can we honestly talk together for just a few minutes this morning about this this time of year? You know, I hesitate to do this because you're going to think that I am such a Scrooge Uh, that I have no Christmas spirit, whatever that is. We'll come back to that uh, in in a moment. Uh, But I think we should talk for a few minutes this morning about uh, this time of year. And before you start to worry, uh, let me just say that I like Christmas. Uh, I liked it as a child. I uh, liked it as a parent. There's nothing quite like uh, celebrating the uh, Christmas season with y- young children. So please don't seek me out in the Methodist Hall today during uh, cookies and carols and say, oh, Doug, I'm so sorry, you know, that, that you don't like Christmas. Right? Because the truth of the matter is I do like Christmas. Uh, but, and I'll, I'll say this as honestly as I can, uh, I- I'm always so confused uh, by this season of the year. There is such a disconnect it seems to me, between the way things really are and the way we wish they were, uh, or, or between how we actually feel and how we think we should be feeling. 
For example, I, I know that I should be uh, happy and, and uh, full of joy uh, right about now because it's Christmas, after all. Uh, but I don't know if I feel any happier now than I do at any other time of the year. Uh, I should also be creating a place in my heart to receive the Savior uh, of the world. But uh, who has time for that? I should be enjoying the Christmas markets and the, the staff parties and all of the gift giving. And I do. All right, But I keep hearing that I should set aside quiet time for uh, humble reflection about a child who has been born among us. A, a, a child who will bring peace on earth and goodwill to all people. I mean, do you see what I mean? What a mess. Now, what a jumble of ideas and, and, and stories and, and customs. And then uh, Santa Claus is somehow added to this mix. And, and, and God bless you if you are a parent trying to weave a, a coherent narrative about this, this time of the year. Uh, it, it, it's very nearly impossible. And then, if that were not enough, add to all of that the, the darkness and the gloom. I'm thinking, of course, about the shorter days in, in late December, but I'm also thinking about the world. The uh, political situation, I mean, that's dark and, and, and gloomy too. We're not the first people in history, by the way, to live in uncertain times. We, we certainly like to think we are. Uh, we like to think uh, that this is the time, uh, time at last in history when God will intervene and, and, and bring everything to a fitting conclusion. Uh, but as Jesus himself said, uh, of that hour, no one knows. Not even the Son of Man. Uh, is this the time when God will act? Well, we don't know. And, and all we can do is do what believers have done down through the centuries. All we can do is watch and wait and, and be prepared. Some of us have parents or, or grandparents who lived through a world war and, and who experienced a, a sadness and uncertainty and fear that the rest of us have never known. But there have been other times in history, too, just as bleak and, and just as difficult. One of them was when Isaiah wrote the words we heard today from uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Well, that was a time when just about everyone had given up hope, too. Uh, I think what I would like to do today is to just say clearly, as clearly as I can, what we believe about this time of year and, and what it means and, and what is so precious about it, and then you can decide. You, you can decide to hold on to all of your uh, habits and, and customs and, and beliefs. If they're working for you, that's just fine. Or you can embrace a, a different way of looking at this season of the year, one that may not seem so jumbled and confusing and chaotic. It's really up to you. Uh, maybe the Christmas of contemporary culture is, is working for you, and, and if so, great. Uh, I'm so glad uh, for you. All right? But you should know that there is a, a, a radically different way of thinking about this season of the year. In, in some ways, uh, a, a subversive way. All right? And it may be just the kind of hope that you are looking for right about now. Uh, no other prophet comes as close as Isaiah. 
uh, as Isaiah does in telling the story with such power and, and, and poetry and drama. Uh, you already know, I think, that Isaiah contains uh, some of the most beautiful poetry in all of Hebrew literature. Uh, the other prophets tell similar stories, of course, but no other prophet has captured our imagination in quite the way that uh, Isaiah has. And it's no surprise that Handel leans so heavily uh, in in composing his oratorio known as Messiah. Uh, The libretto, and many of you already know this, is almost entirely based uh, on the words of uh, Isaiah. Essentially, what he does is to set them to music. And where does the oratorio begin? Well, it begins in chapter 40, which is what we heard read for us today. And if you're attending a live performance, you barely have time to settle into your seat and listen to the overture or the symphonic opening when suddenly a tenor begins to sing. And once you've heard these words, you can never get them out of your mind. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. That's where the story of salvation always begins, and it it, it begins in our weakness and helplessness and and hopelessness, and when we can no longer make things right, it's then that God enters the world to make things right. The same thing happens uh, at the beginning of Exodus when uh, people are in slavery, and and then God says to Moses, do you remember this? Uh, God says, I've heard their cry. I've seen their suffering. In other words, something has to be done, and I am going to do it. Uh, Some of us here today have reached this point in our own lives, and and then, you know, suddenly we hear it. Uh, Suddenly we hear those words, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And as I mentioned last week, the the word comfort has lost a little of its edge in in English. Uh, When we hear the word, we think of being pampered in a a five-star hotel. We think of that as the very definition of comfort. And don't get me wrong, I like that too. Uh, But biblically speaking, the word comfort has to do with strength and determination and, and resolve. You know, finding a source of strength in a hopeless situation, that's comfort. And as I mentioned last time, uh, Karl Barth once said, comfort is finding the strength to stand up. Uh, I had a theology professor in, in seminary a long, long time ago, and he once said to our class that the hymn... Uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We sang it uh, a few weeks ago in connection with the Reformation. Uh, The hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, should really be uh, A Mighty Comfort is Our God. And then he said, if we sang it that way, we would understand the real meaning of the word. And as it turns out, we didn't know this at the time, but my uh, professor told this same story to a whole generation of students. I think 40 years worth of students. We all got the same story. And at his memorial service a few years ago, a few hundred of his, fellow, uh, his former students came back uh, to campus. And in the seminary chapel, no one sings like a, a bunch of seminary students. Uh, but a few years ago in the seminary chapel, we all sang, A mighty comfort is our God. And you know something? No one even had to make the announcement. We all knew what to do. It was a moment and a, a word I will never forget. A mighty comfort is our God. And then this line, uh, uh, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. 
What's remarkable about Isaiah is that he captures God in all of his, his, his fullness and depth. And I mean, God is powerful and majestic, of course, we all know that. Uh, but, 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 but God is also a tender mother. You know, uh, Isaiah tells us that, uh, that God is not just this powerful father, but also one who comforts and holds uh, her children. In, in chapter 66, Isaiah writes, as a mother comforts her children, so I will comfort you. So speak tenderly to Jerusalem, verse 2 says. And, and the sense there is that God uh, speaks not just to our heads, but to our hearts, not just intellectually, but uh, at the level of our feelings and our emotions, where you know, most of us spend our time each day. And then finally, uh, although uh, there's still more, the, the, this highway. Make straight in the desert a, a highway for our God. In some English translations, including the one we heard today, the word for highway gets flattened out and it loses a great deal of its meaning. We tend to think, when we hear the word, we tend to think of a road or a hiking path in Switzerland. But the word here, I assure you, refers to something much more. The highway in, in verse 3 was literally a highway. It was an elevated road. And, and, and highways in the ancient world were major roads for international trade. And maybe more important, uh, they offered safe travel between cities. Uh, they often had drainage ditches along the side and, and you know, paved stones. Uh, and then and good visibility so that robbers ha- did not have an easy way to attack travelers. So the highway mentioned in verse 3 is one of those highways. And then notice this too, the highway is not for us. Right? The, the, the highway mentioned here is for God. This is the road that God travels in, in order to reach us. And, and in that tiny textual insight, there is an entire gospel of grace, which I want you to see. Uh, most world religions uh, uh, tell us that life is a journey or uh, a pilgrimage, which uh, makes sense when we hear it. But uh, in, in most world, world religions, it's a pilgrimage to God or, or maybe uh, from, from life to death. And, and, and so we're told that's our real journey. Uh, Christianity, and I think this is so important to know, uh, Christianity is alone among the religions of the world because it teaches... That our salvation is not about how well or uh, how heroically uh, we travel to God. Uh, but rather uh, that our God in Christ has come to us. All right, that's Christmas. That's Christmas in the, 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 the simplest terms I know. Right, through the wilderness, God has carefully built a highway and God has come to us. So uh, if anyone has taken a journey, it's God. Right? It's God who left behind all the splendor and, and majesty of heaven, whatever that looks like, in order to enter our squalid world. It's God who became a baby. Uh, born to poor and scared parents in a, a, a world with uh, such turmoil. I'm not the first person ever to point out that, that Jesus became a refugee in the, the, the first year of his life. I mean, these were not promising circumstances. The, the first months of Jesus' life were as precarious as any human life has ever been. 
So the Christmas story, it's the salvation story. This is God's plan to save us, not through strength and and not through a great army and not through a a brilliant and decisive general or a political leader, but in the opposite way. You know, God became a baby. Uh, I love Christmas baptisms. We we, we had one last week, and, and I love Christmas baptisms because as I hold that baby, I remember all over again how God decided to do it. God's plan was and is to come to us in in weakness and vulnerability. So what I try to hold on to each Christmas is that story, not not just the the Christ child in Mary's arms, but, but that larger plan for the salvation of the whole world. And as I mentioned last week, Jesus is already here. So Christmas must be about something more than the birth of a baby. A few years ago in the church I uh, was serving at the time, I introduced my congregation to a new way of thinking uh, about this season of the year. And it's called the Advent Conspiracy. And I don't think they liked that name very much at first. Uh, It didn't sound like the Christmas story they had always known with sleigh bells and and, and lights and presents, but slowly it caught on. And we, we probably don't have time to do it anymore this year, uh, not the way it should be done, but I, I want to at least introduce this idea to you. In, in 2006, this is where it began, in 2006, a, a group of pastors uh, in the U.S. came to the end of another Advent season, feeling exhausted and, and uh, sensing that they had missed it all again. N- namely, and these are their words, namely the awe-inspiring and the soul-satisfying mystery of the Incarnation. And so instead of looking forward to Christmas each year, they dreaded the season uh, with all of its additional demands and obligations and the, the busyness of it all. Uh, to them it felt, and this is just a wonderful way of putting it, to them it felt like a creeping idolatry which was consuming them and, and, and their churches. People were drowning, in, uh, they realized, in a sea of financial debt, credit card debt, and, and they had this endless list of, of, of gifts to buy for people who didn't really need anything anyway. These were people who had bought into the marketing lie that spending money is the best way to express love. One of the original five pastors uh, who started the Advent Conspiracy uh, did some math. Uh, Americans, he discovered, were spending uh, $600 billion U.S. dollars every year on gifts. Hard to imagine, uh, but it's true. And then, uh, as he figured it, it would only cost $30 billion uh, U.S. dollars to provide access to clean, safe, drinkable water all around the world. And so that's how the Advent Conspiracy was born. It was essentially a clean water project. Uh, Anyway, the theme they developed, and and this is why I introduced it to my congregation, the theme was worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. In case you're wondering, the Advent Conspiracy is no more than a website and a Facebook page. Uh, You can find it easily for yourself. There's no staff or overhead. There's no international headquarters in Geneva that you can visit. Uh, It's a a Facebook page. But today, thousands of congregations around the world, and this is astonishing when you think about it, only 11 years later, thousands of congregations around the world are participating, and they have made a pledge to step out of contemporary culture to find the true meaning of this season. 
Let me focus on just one aspect, and I'll, uh, I'll make this the, f- the final point of my sermon, the, and, and that aspect is giving. The idea of giving deep, uh, uh, gift giving is, is deeply rooted in the Christmas story. We give gifts at Christmas, in case you were wondering, right, because of the example God set for us, but somehow, over the years, gift giving has lost its connection to the very purpose of Christmas, the best kind of giving, of course, is giving that's personal and uh, intimate and relational. I mean, those are the gifts we like best. Right? And, and, and that's what I see in Luke's account of the Christmas story. When God decided to give the world a gift, what did he do? He gave himself. All right? Isn't that how you read the story as well? Uh, not a new car for everyone, you know. Uh, The good news of Christmas is that God offered himself, and it it astonishes me that we forget that. Uh, In one of the Advent Conspiracy Bible studies, I found the story uh, touching uh, for me, maybe because of my own uh, personal circumstances, but I found the story of a young man who gave his father a bag of coffee beans for Christmas. And (laughs) that doesn't sound like much of a a gift to give one's father, but the, the gift came with one stipulation. His father could only enjoy this gift with his son. So the son said, in the hours and the days and so on that it takes to finish that bag of beans, I want you to tell me the story of your life and what it means to be a man and what it means to be a man who is a believer. You may have tried to tell me before, but this time I promise to listen. And suddenly a bag of coffee beans was transformed into a deepened relationship. I'll give you one more example from the the Advent Conspiracy Bible Studies. Uh, A father of a teenage daughter gave her two beautiful blank journals for Christmas. Not exactly what every teenage girl is hoping to receive, I know, uh, uh, because I raised two of them. Uh, But the gift came with these instructions. She was to write in in one journal uh, during the coming year, and he was to write in the other. So they would write about their experiences, one growing up and getting ready to leave home, and the other watching a child grow up and preparing for the inevitable, and speaking personally, the painful launching of a child into the world. And then on the following Christmas, this was the plan, they would exchange journals. Right? They're gifts to each other. May I tell you one more story? Are you willing to listen uh, to this? Okay. <laughs> You're going to get it anyway. Uh, <laughs> Uh, The congregation I served uh, before this one really tried to get into that uh, clean, fresh water aspect to uh, Advent conspiracy, although that's not really uh, essential to understanding what it means. Uh, uh, And so we raised money. Uh, As a congregation, we raised money to drill a freshwater well for a church in South Africa, uh, a church one of our members from South Africa uh, knew very well and and, uh, had visited many times. And the plan uh, was that a group of us would uh, go to South Africa for the dedication and it would be a kind of a celebration when it was all uh, finished and then I would get to preach at at this uh, South African church. So a lovely picture, it fit our imagination of what Christmas uh, ought to be. And when we arrived in South Africa as representatives from this big rich church in in, in the US, uh, we found drilling equipment everywhere. (laughs) just lying on the ground uh, everywhere in the village, but no well. Uh, The drilling company, as it turned out, uh, had tried 
several times in, in uh, several different places. They drilled in excess of 100 meters, uh, which they said should have been enough to find water in lots of different places, but it, it did not. So there was nothing. Uh, they came up dry uh, uh, in their drilling every single time. Uh, but, and here's the remarkable part of the story, uh, we had the celebration anyway. And I got to preach my sermon, <laughs> you know, in South Africa. But what, what they wanted, as it turned out, was not our money, right? or, or even the well, although I'm sure they would have been glad to have uh, fresh water. Uh, what they wanted was our friendship. What they wanted was our concern and, and compassion for, for them. They, what they wanted was our, our, our Christian fellowship. Imagine that. Right? They were just so glad to see us and they fed us. Right? And they allowed us to participate in their worship, which included a lot of dancing, I must say. So that's how uh, the white Christians from America learned about the true meaning of this season. God gave himself, not stuff, not material comforts, but himself. Why is it that we have such a difficult time remembering that? Worship fully. Spend less. Give more. Love all. Will you pray with me? Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this time of year because as confusing as it often is and as difficult as it is to enter into the meaning of this season, uh, we're forced to look for you. We're forced to look at what you are doing in the world. We're forced to look for a deeper meaning that makes sense of it all. So today we thank you for the gift that you have given, right, for the promise of, of new life for the promise that in you, our lives too can be different and can be changed and can be transformed. Our prayer today is that you will enter into our lives, be born in us, right, so that we can become the people you intended us to be. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn is number 13. If you are able, I invite you to stand and, and sing.
We've now come to the best part of the sermon. Thanks, Doug. We've been reminded to give and give more to comfort one another. Let us pray. Our dear Lord, we commit each and every one here into your mighty hands. We thank you for the opportunity to give back to expand your ministry with some of the proceeds that you have blessed us with. Help us to give generously and to be a blessing to others. Help us to love one another, comfort one another. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.
Let us pray. Our most gracious Lord, we come before you this morning to give you praises and glorify your name because you are God. We've chosen to meditate on your promises and trust you over our circumstances because of your faithfulness, Lord. You are the concrete lion of Judah, majestic in power, slow to anger, and yet abounding in love. You are the cornerstone of our lives, and we cannot do without you. You are the Alpha and Omega, Elohim, Adonai, Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace, righteous and without blemish. Lord, in your mercy. For there is no better time to come before you than with a renewed spirit. We thank you for Switzerland, the peace and the privilege to worship you without any persecution. We also thank you for IPC, a place to worship our pastors, elders, and men and women that you bless us with. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning and pray that it will descend in our hearts and impart our lives. During this Advent season, as we walk through various cities and marvel at the brightly lit streets and squares with Christmas decoration, yet many of Many of these, too many, these are meaningless or even a burden, a season of sadness rather than joy because they are destitute, struggling daily to get on with their lives. Father, help us to prepare our hearts to support the, the two organizations in Switzerland next Sunday with a special collection to help the destitute. We thank you for our families, job, health, and your protection of our lives throughout the years. We commit IPC into your hands and pray that you guide our pastoral search committee with your spirit in search of a new senior pastor. We also pray for, we pray that you provide jobs for the jobless, console the widow, heal the sick, and comfort those distress in our midst. Lord, in your mercy. Dear Lord, we pray for the church worldwide. We pray for IPC adopted group, the Shan in Myanmar. As a church, we also pray for spiritual growth. Father, we pray for peace in the Middle East. We pray for the less privileged those affected by natural disasters and those suffering in war-torn countries like Syria. We pray for your protection for our Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, Egypt, Pakistan, and also those going through persecution in various countries. Dear Lord, make us a channel of thy peace, to sow love where there is hatred, to bring harmony where there is discord, to bring faith where there is doubt, to bring hope where there is despair, to be the light that shines in the world of darkness, to love our neighbors and bring joy where there is sadness. And above all, Father, we pray that your will be done in our lives. And now let's take a minute of silence for our individual concerns.
Lord, in your mercy. And now, as Jesus taught his disciples, let us pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven. final hymn is one we may not know, but I think if you uh, come to know it, you will like it very much. Uh, it's written by Eleanor Fargian, and, and it was written in England in 1928, so early part of the uh, 20th century. Uh, she also wrote Morning Has Broken, which I think has a similar kind of sound to it. I, I've asked Ruth to play it through once as we remain seated, and then uh, when she's finished, let's stand and, and sing it together.
de verkeerde kant. Ja. Kijk, zo, als ik zo doe, zo niet. Zo. Aha. Zo, zo wel. Sound like it's working. One, what? Yeah. And which one? Was it the right channel? It is. It is zero. But it should be zero. The mic, mic is too loud. The mic is too loud. So, so maybe it's broken. Why you see? You see? Look. Here. It does. Yeah. Here, it does not. Well, not so much. It yeah. yeah, I think we should. Oh, it's not a place to be. But is that ours or is that from this side? Let's try another one. And it's only this one at the moment which is mixed in there, so the other one should be this one. Uh, one, one. Yeah, we should we should go and get a new one. The thing was very sensitive and it has been bent badly. Like someone of us must have done that. Which is really bad. So you burned it back. So maybe it's it back, maybe yeah. it's just broken inside and then so maybe that's I don't even think it's broken. I don't think it's the microphone doesn't pick up everything. Was that the original it, it's here? It's used to do it. Hello. Does this work? Yes. <laughs> 